0: everyone, welcome to the EDM podcast episode number 46 and this episode is a bit different to the others. Uh, normally what I do is I interview successful artists, people in the industry and we talk about a bunch of random stuff including their productions and so on. But this is different, this is an interview with my friend John, uh, John Levito. John reached out to me about a year ago now, just over a year ago, uh, asking if I did coaching. And I don't advertise my coaching services, but we started, we we formed an arrangement, we talked every two weeks. I gave feedback on his music, I gave him advice. Uh, And he's made immense progress over the past year and it's not due to what I did. It's due to him. He's a very systematic and deliberate person. So uh, he's created systems and, and methods for learning music production that I find fascinating uh, and that are very effective and that's part of the reason I wanted to interview him. He's not a superstar, he's not uh, touring the world as an artist yet uh, but he's very interesting and and I think he's got a lot of valuable advice. So in this interview we talk about a few things. We talk about uh, how to combat overwhelm or concern about how much time you need to become proficient. So if you're a new producer and you're feeling a little bit hesitant to jump into this uh, because you know it's going to take a long time to become good, then John's got some advice for you. We talk about deliberate practice. What is deliberate practice and how can producers practice more deliberately or purposefully? We talk about John's system uh, he used to learn to write better melodies. How to create your own systems by identifying weaknesses why 12 hours a day in the studio is not necessary and also why working 12 hours may be a sign that you're not practicing properly or hard enough. Finally, I asked John how he would coach a complete beginner if he had 30 days and was getting paid a lot of money. So it is a little different to other interviews, uh, like I said, but it's fascinating. Make sure you take some notes uh, and make sure you implement some of this stuff because it will help you learn better. It will help you make better music. This stuff isn't sexy, it's actually quite boring sometimes, uh, but it will help you make progress. So keep that in mind as you listen to this interview. If you have any questions, let me know. By the way, there is an extended case study uh, in text form as an article that you can check out. I'm going to leave a link to that in the show notes. Uh, So if you want to learn more about this and and, uh, the topics that we talk about, as well as links to other things, then make sure you check that out. Uh, Otherwise, I hope you enjoy the interview, and without further ado, here is John Levito. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months, or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing, and not just learning, the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. So, John, I wanted to, uh, to do this. I've never done a case study before, but... Um, you know, you reached out to me, I think it was, it was Christmas Day last year, 2015, because I had to go back and find the email, and it was on the 25th, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you were asking about, about coaching, which I wasn't doing at the time, but whatever, decided to do it, and, and over the past 12 months, it's been, I've seen you make immense progress, more than anyone else I've seen in the production world, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what you did, because it certainly wasn't just me. That caused that to happen. Um, but to begin with, you know, go back like a year, you're running a few businesses, you're location independent, great life. What makes you decide to get into music?
1: The short version of it is that I built a business, I was able to travel and live anywhere, spent most of my time in Thailand, originally from Sydney, Australia, but spent most of my time in Thailand. And, um, Eventually, when you you know you do that, you know I've seen a lot of people in my position do it. You kind of go like, what, what do I do now? I've got money, I have got all this freedom. What's next? And then you start thinking about what do I really want to do. And uh, to be honest, I bounced around a lot, and, um, and we can go into that if you want. But but bounced around a lot, and eventually through a long process, I guess, of self-discovery, eventually realized that what I really wanted to do, and that if I'm you know hit all these financial goals, what I really wanted to do was make music. So I'm like, fuck it, let's just go into the music right now.
0: So you bounced around a bit. How did you work out that those things weren't worth pursuing?
1: You know, I struggled for a long time. I think everyone usually in their 20s goes through that period of like, what the hell is, like, am I doing? What's life about? You know, I think it's it's really natural, especially today when there's so many different options for people to, um, different things that people can do. And it wasn't until I, I met a life coach who I was always so skeptical of because I thought they were basically full of shit. And, um. I helped her out with some stuff because she she was looking to interview some business people, and in, in return she gave me a free coaching session. She didn't really tell me to do anything; she just asked me lots of questions. And one of those questions was, uh, "What's your dream life?" And I remember saying that at this point, music wasn't even on my mind. I hadn't, you know, I grew up playing music, but I basically ignored it for five years uh, to focus on business. And uh, initially, I was going to say my dream life is, you know, it's a certain amount of money, it's certain, you know, in the gym, girls, whatever, something more typical. And then I don't know what made me do it, but something made me go, well, I want to feel like Mark Cuban. And Mark Cuban's this famous, you know, sort of a bit snarky business guy, uh, billionaire. And he said, if uh, if I died tomorrow and could come back as anyone in the entire world, alive or dead, I'd come back as me. And I was like, I want to feel like that about my life. And then I also said, the addition to that was like, I was watching Kanye West videos at the time, just sort of these Kanye West motivational videos. And uh, it was just, it's so clear, I think anyone who's seen him is how passionate he is about what he does. Whether you like him or not, he's just really, really passionate. I was like, I want to feel like Mark Hubert in the sense that I love my life and I want the passion that Kanye West has for something. It doesn't have to be rap. I'm not really a huge, I don't listen a lot to Kanye West anyway, but I want that passion for something. Um, And so how how that became, ended up sort of taking me towards music is I think um, she then said, each morning when you meditate, just try and bring up this feeling of what it feels like. So get in touch with, the basic emotion of what that would be, uh, and just do that every day. And so I did that, and I mean, I, I don't know how it works. And there was other things I was doing, but I think that that somehow primed my brain so that over time I'd gradually notice things that made me feel that way. You know, I'd be at a party and I'd be dancing, and I'm like, "This is amazing! I'm so joyful right now." Or I'd, I remember doing like not really DJing, but someone had virtual DJ open on their laptop at a small get together at his apartment, like 10 people in the room. No one was really listening to the music; they're all just talking. But I got on and made a, you know, did a few tracks poorly, but still did it. And I got a big buzz out of it. And whereas usually I'd be like, well, that was fine," And then I'd go back to uh, daily, you know, just I'd be like, that was cool. But then back to business the next day, back to the normal life. I think pr- probably in part because of that, you know, trying to tap into that feeling every day, my mind goes, well, whoa, like this is the feeling. Like what would it be like to have more of this feeling every day? Like it does it have to be just on a random Saturday night at this random party? Or like would there be a way that if you consciously – I guess if I consciously aimed for that or tried to create that, would it happen? And so there was a few experiences like that. And then in December, it was December the other day. It's December eight today. I think on December five or six, I got back from a a friend's sort of week long party in Thailand and, uh, had a great experience dancing and just dancing all week. Didn't even drink, danced all week at this party and, uh, came back and was like, that's it. I'm going to take the next step, whatever that is. And downloaded logic, like, you know, bought logic, downloaded logic and, and, started literally a year ago.
0: That's amazing. Did you ever, because uh, I've thought about this with things other than music. Like I remember a few years ago, I had a friend who was, he's a great developer and I was like, oh, I should learn to code, you know, but there's that part of me that's like, Sam, do you know how many hours it takes to become proficient at that? Did that ever cross your mind knowing that, you know, you've, you've run some businesses, it takes a long time to learn skills um, did you think about that? Because I think that stops a lot of people from getting into music or, or anything for that matter. Just the overwhelming feeling that it's going to take so long to, to get decent.
1: Well, I mean, at, at first, like when I first did it in December, I I wasn't really committing to it. You know, like uh, someone set up, like had lunch with someone I think in the month before then in November or something like that, and they said something because we're talking about this idea. I was definitely searching. And uh, trying to figure out, like, how, yeah, how do you figure out what you want to do, you know? And I keep meeting people who are, you know, going through this. And he said something that really stuck with me, which, th- which was that you don't really need to know exactly where you're going. You just need to follow the clues. You just need to know sort of what the next step or the next few steps are. And so, like, when I was in Colombia, that was when I met the life coach and started doing that, um, sort of the, that visualization, I guess you'd call it. Uh, and then, you know, I was sort of went traveling and been around a few places. And by the time I got to um, you know, Thailand and had been to the party and then came back to me. It was just, you know, i sort of did that small amount of DJing at this uh, get together and I was like, oh, that's an interesting clue. And then went to this party and had so much fun dancing. So I was like, oh, that's another big clue. All right, well, let's download Logic and let's just see what happens. Let's just, I don't know, let's just make a bit of music. That was sort of my attitude for a while. And it wasn't until April this year, um, so a good five, yeah, five months later, when I really decided that I was going to go basically switch and put business, make business my side thing and music my full time thing. So up until that point, it was just yeah, uh, you know, I was just exploring. And I, you know, my intention for this year was to just explore music, you know, feel it out, see if it's something I wanted to do more of. But by April, I was like, yeah, I'm going all in on this.
0: You and I both we're both interested in this concept called deliberate practice. Can you explain what that is to people who haven't heard of it before?
1: Right, so I think the, the best way is just by way of example, uh, and because this comes from Anders Ericsson i have got to put together this interview actually with, with him that will be up in a bit. But um, Anders came up with this idea that deliberate practice is, is very different from what most practice uh, what most people do when they practice. And the best way to think about it is he studied violinists. So you could apply this to music production pretty easily. But imagine someone uh, you know, studying a violin piece, classical music, and um, you know they're struggling with a certain piece. And so what normal people practicing will do, or average players, they'll get out the piece and they'll just play the whole thing and they'll play it a few times until they feel a bit tired or until they feel like they've just done a good job. And and then they'll call it done and then they'll go do something else. You know, like there's no – they're not really tracking any metrics. They're not really targeting anything in particular, you know, other than the whole piece. And so then he uh, – Anders and the scientist who, who did this research, the next thing you might call purposeful practice, which is what where you – basically it's sort of the half, you know, halfway in between normal practice and deliberate practice where you just sort of – just a little bit more purposeful about it. You might just – Practice with a bit more intensity, or um, you know, just try and focus a bit harder. And that's good, but it's still not great. It's still not what the experts do. What what he found that the experts did is that they would basically they would painstakingly tease out their weaknesses at something, and then use create specific exercises to um, to target those those things. So, and the way to tease out those weaknesses in the first place is a big part of that is getting coaches, getting mentors, and teachers you know, however you can do it, or in the case of music, you can get feedback from your friends. But then when you've done that, uh, to target it really specifically. So a violinist, if they're screwing up the first line and the intro of this piece, they wouldn't practice the whole song. They wouldn't even practice the whole intro. They'd figure out like the one or two bars when they're fucking it up. And they just play that. They'd slow it down maybe until they, you know, they could play it and they'd speed it up gradually on a metronome one beat at a time until they could get to that point where they could nail it not just once, but 10 times out of 10. To me, that's what deliberate practice is.
0: And how have you, how have you applied that then over the past 12 months to music production?
1: A lot of people say, I think you've mentioned this a few times too, is just make a lot of songs. And um, I think that's true in some ways, if you make a lot of songs, you will get better, but that would be somewhat similar to the violinist who just plays lots of different music. They're going to get better. They do a lot of it, uh, but they're not going to get better as fast as they might like. And so what I've been doing is first I read, there's one one book worth mentioning here is The Four Hour Chef which uh, by Tim Ferriss, he's going to just, you don't have to read the whole book, just read the chapter on learning because he mentions that you break down, you want to break down any skill or anything you're trying to learn into its basic components. So within music, it can seem like it's overwhelming, but you could probably break it down into a handful of key areas called, you know, what I've done is I've broken it down in composition, sound design, mixing, and mastering, and maybe you could throw in DJing or just, you know, performance skills or something as a fifth area. So once I did that, then I started to think, well, all right, where do I suck? Like, what's really limiting me right now? If I put, it, if I try and make a song and get it out there, like, what's really holding it back? Looking at it as an entire system, like if it was a car or a spaceship or something, if, my, if that was my skill, and I had to figure out what was the one thing that if changed, if improved, would move the whole thing forward. So that's how I've been trying to yeah, you know, that's the sort of philosophy I've been using. And then I've been using obviously feedback from you and feedback from friends and family and, and marketing it online to see, like, where is this falling down? Like, is it the mixing? Is it that I can't make it? Like, does it sound too muddy? Is that my issue? Or is it that, man, my sounds are just so generic or they just sound like crap or whatever? Or is it that the composition is bad? And I think what I've come to, and this is probably something worth touching on at some point, is that you, you, you probably laugh when I mention this, but like, all of this depends on what you want or what the person listening to this wants. because. I know what I want, which is to be in like, when I think about like where I'd like to take this music thing is to me, it's primarily about enjoyment, but the secondary purpose of doing it is to play music for as many people as possible, which means like, if I could go and headline at ultra music festival, like that would, to me, that would be amazing to go play on the radio, to go like, um, you know, hang out with Calvin Harris and, or, you know, do that kind of stuff like that to me is the pinnacle for other people. It's going to be to try and make, you know, music that other producers like, you know, to have that thing where it's sort of the, in the guitar world, you've got Joe Satriani and Steve Vai, like guitarists like those guys, because you don't really want to listen to it, but a guitarist can go, wow, he's so good. You know, that's a different market. So for me, because I'm targeting, you just say, mainstream market, I think the when you look at the songs, you can have a bad, you can have a, a well-written song that's poorly produced, And it's still a well-written song. It's still catchy. You can play it on the guitar or the piano or or with um, you know synthesizers, and it's still going to sound like a pretty good song, even if the mix kind of sucks. Because if you have a shitty song, like the composition is boring, the arrangement sucks, the lyrics don't resonate, just it's a bad composition for whatever reason. You it could be perfectly produced, and it's still not going to hit. And so that's made me you know especially the last few months I've definitely been. More focused on composition for that reason, and eventually though, I'm gonna it'll, it'll get to a point where I'm like, well, the composition's like that's not holding it back anymore. What I need now is to be able to make sounds like Skrillex and noisier, for example, or whatever. You know, it's it's finding those weaknesses and then and then attacking them.
0: I think that's so crucial because a lot of a lot of new producers, especially, feel like they have to learn everything all at once, and I think that's so unwise because. Um, like you say, composition is incredibly important, and if your goal is to make, um, let's say, a tropical house, you know, you don't really want to spend eighty percent of your time on sound design uh, or mixing for that matter. You want to learn how to write good melodies. Uh, so I like that. Going back to composition, though, because you kind of obviously you, you saw this whole, you step back, you saw it as a whole. You're like, well, that's what's holding me back. That's what I need to work on. Uh, what, what kind of systems or system did you come up with uh, to improve it composition? Because you you didn't just because I know this you didn't just oh I'm going to get better at composition so I will just write a bunch of melody. It was a little bit more deliberate than that.
1: Right. What started so I think initially what I started doing was out, um, remaking songs, and so that would that, and that was I guess a sort of this was three or four months ago now five months ago. Initially when I started really applying this approach. Um, yeah, I, I'd remake a song. And after I'd done that a handful of times, I was able to get the mix sounding pretty good. The sounds, like it wasn't perfect, but it was good enough to be like, wow, that's, I mean, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, but then when I have started doing the last couple of months and, and what's working really, really well is, and this goes back to the deliberate practice idea of like trying to break, get as granular as possible. So like someone might say, well, if you want to, you know, write, get better at writing melodies, we'll just go write a bunch of songs. What I've been doing instead is, so getting so I got some of these ideas from your um, you know song analysis posts as well. But I started analyzing songs, so I created a spreadsheet and analyzed them similar to how you would do it and go through, you know, sort of section by section and write out what came in, what came out, all that sort of stuff. And then that grew into this I can't remember exactly what made me do this, but I started that's oh, I started reading hook theory a month or two ago or something like that. And so that's I think to, sort of culminated in this way of practicing where I've been reading hook theory. So hook theory is a book on music theory. And then I've got Logic over next to me with, say, any, it could be any song. I was doing a on song uh, finale one day. So I analyzed the whole song. I remade, I think, the, the main drop and sort of the verse, but not remade to try and make it sound good. Just remade it with, like, a default drum, like, a basic drum kit, a piano, and a bass. Like, I was, I was specifically trying not to do any sound design or mixing. So there was no delay reverbs or anything like that. It was just just, the, just some basic instruments to get a feel for what, was going on in that section. Um, and then with hook theory, you know, I'd read a bit of hook theory, find the concept, and then I'd take the, the let's say, the verse section from Finale, and I'd keep the chords, but then I'd write copy and paste, like i just duplicate the track stat, so I'd keep all that, but I'd keep the chords, keep the bass, and I'd write a new melody that's almost the same, it's got the same, what you call melodic repetition, but the notes change. And then I'd do that again, but I'd change the repetition structure, so I'd make the, the, the rhythm of it vary. And then I'd do it again, and I'd uh, you know rewrite the whole melody from scratch. I'd just delete it, start from scratch. And then I'd do it again, but I'd do it with a completely new chord progression. Um, you know, and so on like that. And what ends up happening is you – you because that's practicing the melody. Right? I'm not making a whole song. I'm not spending any time. There's no mixing, no sound design, no arranging, um, just literally playing with the melody because I, the, the hook theory was, was amazing, by the way, because that – totally worth reading because then I could go through a melody and be like, that doesn't sound right. And whereas before I – that's all I'd know. I'd just be able to say, that doesn't sound right. With the music theory, and I think that's really probably the fundamental thing underlying some of this other stuff, is that then I could look, with well, this note here, it's like, it's, you know, it's a, you know, it's an unstable scale degree happening on a strong beat, which shouldn't happen. So I need to change that to a, a stable scale degree. And so that's like a very mathematical or scientific way of saying that's what needs to happen to this melody. Um, I think Maybe we're going to be too technical, but the idea is like getting really granular about what the weakness is and then creating a really, tight exercise or tight constraints to, to target that weakness
0: maybe a bit of a hard question but do you have any tips for developing those kind of systems um, or any resources that might help because I know some people struggle with it
1: I totally read the book by Anders Ericsson which is called Peak, I would read 4 Hours Chef which is just the chapter on learning um, but the main thing is to to sit back and like, first you've got to figure out what you want, do you want to be like D T, do you want to be mainstream, do you want to do something else Like who do, what's your end goal here um, other than just making making stuff and having fun, and if, if if that's all your goal and it doesn't really matter, then just do whatever. But I think that makes it a bit tricky. As for like how to develop the exercises, um, I think it's just about getting is really specific on what you want to practice. So if you say you want to practice mixing, that doesn't really say much, you know. Like when I get to when I get back to um, practicing mixing, what I what I plan on doing um, is getting the software out there now that will basically play different sounds at certain frequencies and you have to guess which frequency it is and so that would be a a really it doesn't sound very fun but it would be a really good way to train um, train your brain to recognize specific frequencies just because it's all it's focusing on is recognizing specific frequencies Um, so I think the the way to think about it is that yeah whatever you first got to figure out what the weakness is based on what you know the problem that's separating you from where you want to go Um, and having a coach or mentor or teacher can really help with that uh, once you've figured that out you know you want to create a, a really get extremely specific as specific as possible in terms of what the weakness actually is you can't just say mixing or just composition you want to be able to kind of say well is it that i don't understand music theory all right go read a music theory book is it and then if you read a music theory book well, don't just read it like how can you take each concept and then write 10 melodies based on it so that you make sure that that met that concept isn't just read and understood, but it's really deeply understood to the point where you can use it to produce something of value. I want to
0: change subject for a moment. You say, or well, last time we talked about this, you said you're, you're making music about three to four hours a day. Uh, that is not, given that you have the capacity to, to spend more time on music, um, people might find that confusing. Especially when there's a lot of successful producers saying, oh, you know, I spent 12 hours a day in the studio. That's what it takes, seven days a week. You know, that's how you become a successful touring musician. What would you say to those people? And and why why do you spend, you know, three to four hours a day on music and not more? Right,
1: right. I think the, I mean, the first thing is I think the people... I think everyone would benefit from developing a more scientific attitude to life and looking for like, if Kanye West, because he said this, is oh, I went away and made beats, all like locked myself in the room and made beats every day for three months, and then he and then he somehow says, well, that's why I'm successful. Like, it's like, you got to look, a scientist, you might look at that and go, well, Kanye West is you need to practice for 12 hours a day, or some producer said I need to get in the studio for 12 hours a day or seven days a week. A scientist, like, you might think that's cool, but like a scientist would kind of look at that and go, yeah, but is that true? Is that predictive of success? Does that mean everyone who works 12 hours a day is going to be um, you know, a successful producer, a successful whatever they're trying to be? Because if they're not, then working 12 hours a day has no predictive value. There's some other thing at work. And maybe in that case, maybe it would be that four hours a day is effective, for example. So I think the, and I'll tell you why, I, I only do the four hours in a second, but the the thing, I, the big thing I think people should really try to get is is having a more scientific view uh, more scientific perspective on like why to do certain things. Don't do stuff because I said to do it or because anyone said to do it. Think about what does the data say. Is this reasonable? Does this make sense to me? Don't just believe something because some random, just because you heard it on the internet kind of thing. You know. Um, and then there's the other side of this, where there's like this gospel of hustle from guys like Gary Vee that you you know if you're not working 16 hours a day or 18 hours a day you're a loser. You know you don't. You're never going to be successful. I think the reality is like that, that's it's cool and it's exciting to talk about. But again, this does like it doesn't answer the question of like what actually works, what's effective, um, and so this is where it comes back to Anders Ericsson, this uh, scientist I mentioned who wrote the book Peak. He mentioned that when they were studying violinists, the so they studied average, above average, and elite performers. I think it was, and uh, the average players practiced the most, right? And then the and then the, uh, the elite performance, I don't know if they practice at the least, but they, they tended to practice three and a half to four hours a day in two blocks. So they practice for an hour and a half to two hours, take a break, usually take a nap, and then have another um, one and a half to two hours as well. So that was where I came up with this idea of I'll do three to four hours. It's usually averaging around, at, 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 the goal is usually four hours a day now. So I think it's just gotten easier over time. But um, yeah, the fascinating study, right? So the, these elite performers were doing three and a half to four hours a day. They got on average five hours more sleep per week um, compared with, uh, the average performers, they had the same amount of uh, leisure time, but they were much more clear on how much time they actually spent on leisure, which was basically showed that they, um, they were better at measuring their time Whereas the average performers Obviously didn't really organize their time. Um, didn't, didn't seem to make much of an effort to organize their time. So, and this is all, this is all scientific research. This is not like Kanye West's opinion or some producer that you like on the internet's opinion on what it takes to be successful. This is the best data that we have on what it takes to become good at something, including music, is that, yeah, elite performers work three and a half, four hours a day because after that, the, if you're practicing the right way, your brain won't be able to practice past that. You know, I think you said it well, when I was asking about this, like chatting about this idea of, well then why not go for five or six hours? And the idea is that, or 12. is if you could practice for like, more than four hours a day, you're not practicing hard enough.
0: What, if any, what were some false assumptions you had when you were first getting into music production?
1: I mean, I think part of me probably thought it would would be easier to get something sounding good. Um, you know, to get something to the point where it sounds professional. And I mean, I still have that sometimes. I'm listening to a song on Spotify, I'm like, man, this song sucks, I could do so much better than this. But then I, and another thought comes in and goes, yeah, do you really think that? Like, do you really, are you sure? So uh, I don't know if you ever really get rid of that mindset, which is part of your the brain maybe. To so, no, false assumptions. Yeah, maybe I think, yeah that it was easy, or that like I think at first because when I I haven't had this, this attitude towards practice the whole time. It's really it's it's gradually developed and gotten deeper and deeper, stronger and stronger. Um, at first, I think I was just a, a lot more disorganized. Like I've always been fairly disciplined because I've had to build my own business and you know I've I've had to be organized, learn to be organized for that. I'm used to having a calendar and a schedule and and being organized, so that probably helps. But even then, like I, when I started, I was like, oh, "I'll do a lot of tutorials and I'll do, it, you know, a few hours a day, and, and that'll get me there." And whereas now it's like, now I'm much more like, "All right, well, what's the actual?" Like I'll sit down for an hour or two hours and, and sit there, and, like just think. We'll go for a walk to a park and just think. And I think this is um, this applies to everything in my life now. The, the way that I feel so crystal clear on what I want to do, what's important to me, what sacrifices I'm willing to make and not willing to make, and, and in regards to music and in regards to everything else. And and it all comes for some reason this year. There's been this big transition where yeah, I'll go for a walk and just think for two hours on what's what's important, what I could be doing better. If, you know, with the music, I'm thinking about well, you know, do I really want to? Um, you know, what would it take, for example, to actually headline an ultra music festival? So like breaking that down into concrete steps and then saying, well, if it was actually going to be achieved, here's what I need to do, here's what I need to start by. Um, you know, here's how these you know various factors would change instead of just going, I just want to get better. I'll just do a tutorial every day, it's been much more like, where am I trying to get to? Um, and what are the specific things that hold me back? I think that's been the biggest shift since I started.
0: Let's say someone comes to you, they've never made music in their life. Uh, they come to you with a lot of money, uh, an amount that you can't turn down. You're just like, yeah, of course. And they say, well, they ask you to coach them for 30 days. Their goal is to become a more, or a well-rounded producer. So no specific goal at the moment. You designed a learning plan for them. What does that plan look like? 30 days.
1: Interesting. I think if they only had 30 days, or like I was trying to get them to a, a specific result at the end of 30 days, like the best the best result possible, it would have to be somewhat general. Because I want them at the end of the 30 days, they're excited, they're pumped up, they're like, man, look at what I accomplished in 30 days. So I think. The the first thing, I think the first thing worth teaching would be how to make a um, how to make a basic melody, and, and that would you know might involve like a you know a coaching call with me or a um, you know or maybe I'd record a video or point them to a talk, tutorial. But the idea is teach them to write like a fairly simple melody, and then over the next thirty days together, I would coach them through the process of turning that melody into a song. With the idea of by the end of that thirty days they have basically a start-to-finish tutorial, but um, I guess if, if, the, if it was an insane amount of cash, I'd probably be on the phone with them. Maybe would even fly to them and hang out with them in their house or apartment and, and sort of work with them like that. And, yeah, I, I think the I need to know that they're committed to the point where they're able to work at least four hours a day on it. Um, they're going to be able to track their time, they're not going to have Facebook or so. They're not going to do anything basically other than music when they're working on music. That's what I do. My phone's on flight mode I think back on the table behind me and um, Facebook's logged out on my computer. I don't check email when I'm in my 60 because there's 60 minute times. Because that's another thing. I, I set a time for 60 minutes, start at 7 a.m. every morning, time I goes on for 60 minutes, when it goes off, 10 minute break and I repeat that at least four times. Um, and so I, I need them to, to basically commit to doing that five days a week for four weeks. And, uh, so that would be the, I guess the productivity system. And then as far as what we do, I would just be like hands on -on one-on-one coaching as far as work, like teach, like leading them by the hand, how to take that melody. And, you know, first we'd probably take the melody, get it sounding good just on our piano first. So just not worrying about anything, just starting with that basic composition, getting the piano working. And then I think before we'd start arranging it or sound designing or anything like that, I'd get, we'd, we'd work out, we'd grab their favorite song that they like. Uh, we'd map out the arrangement with markers in logic, whatever door they're using. Uh, and then we'd take their little melody on the piano and arra- use that and arrange it into a song. Maybe add some chords if, if there's chords called for, drop in a drum kit, basic again, default drum kit, anyone they want to, anyone they like the sound of. So we design basically the basic drums, bass, chords, and melody before we do any sound design at all. And it's already arranged into our whole song. Um, and I think we could do that in the first few days, maybe the first week. And the rest of the month, we, we basically start tweaking all the sounds, mixing it and make it sound good, and then maybe doing some basic mastering.
0: Do you see any challenges coming up on the horizon? Uh, and if so, how do you plan on dealing with them? Whether that's creating a system or uh, or how you're thinking about it, I mean...
1: Yeah, I think the biggest challenge um, is going to be the, the whole challenge of developing the sounds, you know, like the unique sounds. Everyone what i think it's really interesting and like everyone's um everyone wants to think music is this subjective art form and it, it's totally art i get that but if you you know like music theory is fascinating because you realize that all music's like there's math and if you could program you know if i don't know how many bunch of people know about ai and artificial intelligence but you could if you could get every song into a midi file if you had the time to do that you could then give that to a computer a mo- you know pa- computer that's powerful enough it could analyze that song that like all those songs and figure out the patterns and then spit out songs probably better than any of us. And that's coming. If it doesn't exist, eventually that software will work on like MP3s and things like that. So if a computer can do that, it means is I don't think there's, uh, people only think it's subjective. You know, and this is the thing when it comes to creating your own sound, they think it's this subjective thing that you've just got to find. Um, when I think that that really that just means you do not really, un- like it just means you don't really understand how it works yet. And so I think the challenge that I'm saying is like, because I just did my first I guess call it like an official promotion. So shout out to Booty and and the music marketing course because I used that and got onto YouTube and some cool stuff there. But uh, the feedback that I got back from people regarding the song was it's a good song. It's a bit too EDM-y maybe. Um, But the, the biggest piece of, I guess, objective feedback that seemed to come back in the sense that, because there's a lot of conflicting feedback, which to me is the, the sort of the different people like different things. But the most objective thing was that it was a little bit too generic. It wasn't It wasn't really bringing anything new to the table, which to me comes back to this, what's the sound? Like, why are people showing up? Um, and so that's, you know, made me start thinking, well, that's really the challenge now, I think, is it's pretty straightforward to get better. Like, the way I look at how to practice now, it's pretty straightforward to get better at songwriting and mixing and sound design. Like, that's all pretty just, as long as I know if I put in the time, that'll be fine the trick now is like, what do I do for the sound? I've got some cool ideas that I'm not even sure how I'm going to implement them yet. You know, like I, I guess in the interest of just being completely honest, I grew up playing guitar. I love rock and roll. Like I used to want to be a rock star. So I got a picture of me somewhere with like long teased out hair, like Mötley Crüe black and girls jeans and rip stockings over the top. So it's pretty insane. And, um, so that was me when I was like 18 or 19. And, um, so I would love, cause I, I don't hear it. Like I, a lot of dance music, you know, especially when I listen to a lot of it, it starts to sound all the same. Like, it's always a female vocal. It's always, you know, like, it's always a verse, then a build, then a drop, and then a drop on the fourth bar. If the drop it has this, like, little fill kind of thing that happens. Like, it's just very, it is very formulaic. Um, and so, like, I'm thinking, like, what can I do? Like, what would I like to do? And what I would like to do is find a way to bring in some of the sleeves and the, just the groove that you get in blues, like, just rock and roll, basically, and find a way to to bring that into music, like stuff from metal, stuff from Guns N' Roses, ACDC, like those kind of bands, find a way, which I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. Cause I think it's, it's you know, guitar is a very different instrument to a synth, but, um, in terms of like, I think the, it's the, the sound spectrum that it occupies. So it's going to be mixed differently and all that bit. But yeah, that's me. Like I love that, you know, the dissonant blues notes. So that, that's what I've been thinking about lately is like, how do I, there's a challenge. How, how do I plan on it? How can I, how can I sort of integrate some of that stuff, my style, into the dance music so i can actually bring something new to the table so i can have something that you know john is actually offering something new
0: well it's been fantastic talking to you as always do you have any last words of advice for for not just new producers but any producer watching this or or listening to this
1: i think the most important thing that i mentioned a bit earlier was was you've got to be clear on what you want like that, that is the thing. And doesn't that the bulk of the time that you, you spend at this stuff is going to be the execution, sort of doing the practice. And that applies to anything. But if you don't figure out what you want first, you're going to like go in a lot of different directions. And, um, you know, for me, it was that life coach and sitting down and doing that meditation thing and, and, and getting sort of clear on what I really wanted to do. And there's a million different ways I think that work, for, different things work for different people. So I'm not going to suggest that there's any right way to do it. But yeah, figure out what you want. Do you want to be like, bt do you want to be a mainstream producer do you want to compete with screw like shoot, like do you just want to do it for fun and maybe have like a small fan base you just love the fact that you just create this weird wacky stuff online like whatever it is that you want to do like you've got to get clear on that because that that's otherwise all these other stuff you're like well do you practice sound design you know and study noisier or do you study calvin harris for example like it's like you can't answer any of those questions until you figure out what you want so i think that's the Despite all the, you know, how-to stuff that we've talked about, I think, yeah, the most important thing, the thing that's going to give you the biggest return, is yeah, taking time to think about what you want.